Well, some of, some of you may get tired of, of hearing us kind of explain why we do things the way that we do, but uh, we kind of un unapologetic about repeating that. Uh, many of us grew up in uh, sort of church cultures or non-church cultures where we just did stuff. We never knew why we did stuff. Uh, we may have sang words we didn't know what they mean. We have, may have went through things. And so one of the reasons, again, that we take the time to, to, to talk with one another like we just did in the peace that we have in Jesus is because... Uh, we're really not just trying to give our musicians time to transition. So sadly, in many churches, uh, service flow is kind of like a big deal. And, uh, and I'm not saying you don't need to be wise about things, but we really think it's important for us to take the time to stop and look at each other and to see each other. Uh, it is very important that we know that we are seen, seen by God and seen by others and reminded of who we are because of who God is and what he's done. And so all of our gathering, we hope, is structured and ordered as in such a way that it is not just something that we experience that is meaningful in and of itself, but that it is a practice for now going into everyday life. So you might think, oh, well, it doesn't seem super meaningful for me to stop and look at someone and welcome them, you know, and have just a few minutes of conversation. Well, we understand that. But we hope that that provides for you a context as our gathering is worshipped around discipleship to now say, hey, I'm going to go continue that conversation. That person that I just had a two-minute or one-minute or five-second encounter with, maybe someone I could take to coffee or to lunch or to breakfast or to send a text to to get their number and to provide encouragement during the week. And so this is why we, we read the scriptures together. It's why we pray together. It's why we confess together. It's why we hear God's assurance together. It's why we give thanks together. It's why we will come around the table of the bread and the cup together. It's because we want to experience these things together, but then realize we need those things as much on Monday as we do on Sunday. And we would hope that all of our gatherings are shaped as in such a way that they would not be just an event, but would be spiritually formative for the stuff of everyday life. And this is also one reason that we're going through the book of Daniel. That's why we're going to take the time in a second to read a whole chapter out loud. And for, for those of us maybe who's, uh, I don't know the science here, but frontal lobes are shaped by being able to scroll really fast and not have to pay attention to anything long and who are being conditioned to only be able to handle content in a certain amount of characters. It's good for us to, to not just hear God's word, but to be able to sit and to listen and to hear this beautiful story of how God's people flourished in a time of exile. Where they learned to be who they were as God's people, wherever they were and whenever they were. And so let's continue to do that in Daniel chapter 6, maybe one of the most, or if not the most, uh, well-known part of this whole book. But warning, after this week it's going to get weird if you don't know the book of Daniel. So Daniel 1 to 6, stories, Daniel 7 through the rest, apocalyptic literature. Some of you will be excited about that, others of you might, you know, get sick and need to stay home, but hopefully you'll be here. All right, Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other presidents and satraps 
because of an excellent spirit in him. And the king planned to set him, Daniel, over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition or prays to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed a document and injunction. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, set his mind to deliver Daniel. and He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. 
So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you for the firm foundation that we have as your people, as saints, as those made holy in Christ and indwelt by the Spirit, to live a life that is often hard where there often are rivers of sorrow that we're called to navigate and where we find ourselves in a world culture governments situations that are often in opposition to your kingdom and we pray today that you continue to give us wisdom through your word and by your spirit to live faithfully as exiles wherever we are knowing who we are in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have you ever tried to do your best, to do good, to be a good person, to do the right thing, and instead of things going well, everything seemed to just fall apart? You can just think about that in your head. Maybe it was a big thing, a job. You worked hard. You tried to be a person of character you got passed over for the position. Maybe it was a, a relationship, whether a friendship or, or something maybe more romantic, and you, and you tried to be faithful, you tried to be humble, you tried to be honest, but it seemed as if you just ended up being manipulated and hurt. Maybe it's a smaller thing, like you just wanted to plan a day of fun for some people, and it just ended up blowing up in your face. How did you handle it? Think about that as well. Were you surprised? Were you bitter? The reality that Daniel reminds us of, and really all of the story of God reminds us of, is that we live in a world, in a situation, and in circumstances we're often being good, however you may want to define that, not good enough. We're being devoted even to Christ doesn't mean that you will not be discarded. Uh, one pastor pointed to the miniseries, I don't know if you saw it, and I don't ever like to endorse anybody to watch anything, so I'm not doing that, but Band of Brothers. And they were talking to the paratroopers that were about to, to land in World War II, and they said, 
do you not realize that you are about to willingly place yourself in a situation where you're going to be completely surrounded? And the response was, we're paratroopers. We've signed up to drop in where we're completely surrounded. It's helpful for us to be reminded as followers of Jesus that that is what we've signed up for. Being good, being a follower of Christ doesn't mean it will always make other people glad. Being faithful does not mean you will always have friends. It may mean that the people you thought who would support you and help you in this world are those whom it hurts the worst when they desert you. Living a holy life does not mean that you will always have the help that you might think you expect or deserve. So we're called through this story and through the way of Jesus to realize that we might, must have a faith that is full of God even or especially when life doesn't meet our expectations. Jesus said, if you are my disciples, prepare to be hated. Jesus said, if you are my disciples, prepare to have seasons in your life where you have to stand alone. Prepare to be misunderstood. Prepare to, prepare to be excluded. Prepare to be demoted. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. But I'm not calling you to come out of the world, but to live in it. These are our marching orders, as it were, as followers of Jesus. To expect that however faithful we may be to Him, that we will find ourselves often in situations that just aren't right. If we are thinking back to Daniel chapter 3 and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their faithfulness leads them into the furnace, we might see that the emphasis there was a call to not worship other idols in a world that tells us we have to to succeed. The distinction here in Daniel is not a call to simply refrain from other idols, as Daniel 3 said, but Daniel 6 and Daniel in the lion's den is a call that we must not refrain from not only idols, but we must not refrain from actually worshiping God. You see, there is a big difference from being a people who just say we're not going to do certain things to actually being a people who do things. In some Christian cultures or ways of thought, it's as if we're to be known by what we shouldn't do and what we don't do. And so we, we just talk about sins all the time, idols all the time, uh, sufferings all the time. It's sort of an anti-vision of the Christian life in a world. So Jesus sends us into the world and we walk around only thinking, don't do this, don't do that. And there's a measure in which the Bible is teaching us this again and again, that we are to refrain from the idols and gods of the world like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. But there's also this vision that really fuels that and furthers that that we see in Daniel 6, is that we are to live a life not just from idols, but a life that is full of God. To not just say, I'm not going to worship other gods, but I'm going to live a life that cultivates the presence of God beyond what I might expect will happen when I do. 
I think we see at least a few ways here that we can apply this. The first is we're called to live a life full of God beyond a building and beyond a belonging. If we were to look back through the first nine verses of this chapter, in the first three verses, we notice Daniel's opportunity. You could look at verses one and two if you wanted to glance at your Bible or at the screen. And we see that Daniel is advancing. We see that Daniel is a hard worker. Daniel is recognized as being a, a leader among leaders. He has an excellent spirit in him, the text says. He's doing a good job. He's a man of faithfulness, a man of character. And it's amazing, he's able to do this even in this, this sort of pagan, it was Babylonian, now it's Persian Empire. So this, is, this guy can navigate life. He is a wise person. He can succeed in, in various contexts, various empires, as in such a way that not only has him having to sit over here and hide, but has him being thought of as, this is a guy we want to be in charge of stuff. That's amazing, and I didn't even plan to talk about that, but as Christians, as followers of Jesus, uh, we need to have that example. That kind of example that we go into the world, not merely just to keep our heads down, but to do a good job to work well, and to have people, even people who might despise and hate the name of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, and laugh at us for the gatherings like we do and say, I, I know all that, but I, won't, I still would like for them to be a part of what we're doing at our job place. But Daniel's opposed by this. His enemies are jealous of his success. And they're jealous of his success, not merely because it puts them to the side, but they're jealous of his success, as we see, because it relates to the worship of his God. The whole point, remember, of bringing Daniel into exile, along with these others like him, was this first deportation, we have to assimilate the best of their best so that then they can lead the rest of the assimilation of Israel when we bring them into captivity. And no matter how much has been offered to Daniel, he just will not compromise his faith in God. So his very presence among all these other people and his success, it's just a constant irritation. Daniel doesn't play by the rules. Daniel's not a people pleaser. Daniel doesn't live under the rule of the fear of man. He's faithful to God. And look, he's actually doing well. So he's got to come down. They don't like him. He'll never be one of them unless he assimilates. But they couldn't discredit him. We notice also in verse 4, why? His, his, his character's too good. His, his face's too good. They can't even find him stealing paper clips from the office. Right? He's just a faithful person. So how can they disqualify him? They say, notice, verse 5, it's got to be in relation to his God. It's the only way. As Christians, again, as followers of Jesus in this world, that should be the only thing that disqualifies us. Not our character, not our work ethic, but it would only be our faith in God. So in verses 6 through 9, they make a plan to eliminate him by manipulating both the laws of the land and the king of the land. And the reason that this is a problem, this is amazing, where I want us to, to focus here for a second, is they know that Daniel will not even be able to live 30 days 
without being exposed as a worshiper of the true God. Daniel has this faith that is firmly fixed on his God, the true God of Israel, that Babylon can't break, that the Persian Empire can't break, and they know that if they can just get the king to convince him just 30 days that Daniel will not even compromise for a limited period of time for the comfort of his own existence. Chris, if you could click, I didn't tell you this, so to the very end of all of the, uh, of the scriptures here, I want to show a picture. Don't usually do this. But if you, if you can see this here, this is, a, this is a church building that's being just demolished. It's not being demolished because it has asbestos or some type of structural problem that needs to be mediated. It's not being demolished because uh, the church died, you know, there's no longer anybody there. It's being demolished because it's a church in China. It's being torn down because of the jealousy of a government there that does not like the spread of the influence of Christianity and the impact that it has on society. So Christians, even right now in China and other parts of the world, are continuing to face severe persecution for their faith. Church gatherings are being shut down, pastors are being jailed, and even some are reporting that government authorities, uh, you know, you can't, it's against the law to buy a Bible online, if you didn't know that, in China. And so they're actually coming out with government editions that rewrite parts of Scripture. Now, this, is, this is now, if you, if you need to feel that. But what's cool about the church in China is there's this confidence. Not this sort of oftentimes American Christian subculture swagger, you know, that feels like every time something negative said that, that they're at the, the, the side of some sort of mistrust or mistreatment. But uh, the pastor of, and I can't pronounce this, so I'm going to try, Yangzhou Bible Reform Church, was shut down for the second time in three months. And this is what he said, The Chinese Communist Party wants to be the God of China and the Chinese people. But according to the Bible, only God is God. The government is scared of the churches. This was reported in London's Guardian paper, and by far not a Christian publication. Why is there this sort of boldness there? Well, there's this boldness because there's this trust in God that's been cultivated like we see in Daniel. But I think even more if you know something about the history of China is this is not their first rodeo. In the past and in their history, there's been also extreme persecution that forced the church underground. And even now, though there are, are only government-mandated and endorsed churches, they're not afraid because they have a faith that goes beyond buildings and it goes beyond the belonging that the world offers them. The church in China has grown not by the hundreds or the thousands, but by the millions in its history. Because they know the word of God cannot be bound. They know that the God of Israel is not a God who can be stopped by the laws of the land. Now, they're not anti-buildings. They don't see this and say, Yay! We don't need a building. Buildings are bad. 
No, they would love it. They grieve it. But they're more than that. They're not anti-large gatherings like the one we have here. No, they love them and conspire to make them happen. But they have a faith that isn't completely dependent upon them. And question before us as we see Daniel thriving beyond a building, beyond a belonging in the world is, what if we were no longer able to gather in our culture as the people of God? How would your faith in Christ stand? Do we have a vision of church that says, and I've heard pastors say this, if our Sundays don't work, then nothing works. I mean, this is just common church growth mentality, right? If we don't nail this Sunday thing, then, then there's no discipleship that's going to happen anywhere else. What about Daniel? What about where China's been and maybe headed? What about us? If Sunday's end, does worship end? If Sunday's end, does our witness end? We are called to cultivate a life full of God that is beyond events, days, programs, buildings, personalities, and the acceptance of the world. Such a life will be seen, though, not merely in you getting together with a couple Christians in a coffee shop or a restaurant like we do, but ultimately at your place of work or your school or your home. Daniel's not noted, noted to be who he is as a follower of God because of either a Sunday gathering or because of even a smaller group gathering, but because his whole life is one of worship. His work is His worship. They see His character. They see His effort. But His life is worship. They know not only does He live worship, but He also prays. It's personal and private, but it's, it's public, and these things are not separated as if our world would want us to. You see, many people will fall on one side of this or the other. They'll do really good in the world, but they'll kind of try to be a secret Christian. Or they'll be a, a person who's like sloppy at work and then awesome devotional life. But to be a faithful exile is to, is to live all of life as worship in public and in private. And to do it to the point that it would be prosecutable. So before we move on, that is the question. If you were in Daniel's shoes, would there be charges to be brought against you? Would your co-workers be able to say, there ain't no way we're bringing that person down. But you know what? They're so faithful to God, maybe we can get them there. And let's imagine the witness list that's called. If you're like me, you start to get nervous. For those who are single or in school, I'm calling your roommates to the stand. And there's a lawyer who wants to show that you're not a person who's faithful to God. 
Do the roommates say, golly bum, I just catch them in prayer. I mean, you know you're going to bust them in prayer sooner or later. You're going to find them in the Word. Or is it like, well, maybe not, but I know I'm going to, you know, I know, I know I'll find them right here. For those of us with families, your children are called to the stand. Your spouses are called to the stand. Your neighbors that live on your street. You think, oh, well, those must just be boring people who are conflict-averse. But the Bible gives us this vision that we actually can cultivate a life full of God when there's not like super intense, dramatic conflict things happening in our lives. And that's a good thing. In verses 10 through 19, Daniel keeps being who he's always been and doing what he's always done when the conflict comes and it's always going to come. You don't have to create it. Just be patient. It ain't going to last long. In verse 10, we see this. This is a very important verse. I'll read it again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber up open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Very important phrase here. As he had done previously. As he had done previously. His places. Notice where this is happening again. It's in his house. His everyday space. In his everyday space, with his window open toward Jerusalem, he is being reminded, this is who I am. This is who God is. Darius, Nebuchadnezzar before, Cyrus, they may think that their empire is the center of the universe, but I know that where the throne of God is is the center of the universe. He was reminding himself continuously in his everyday life, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is who I am. And he was praying in thanks to God for what he's done and in petition to God for what God was calling him to do. He was on his knees humbly bowing to the one true king and he had this pattern of doing it three times a day. Now, some of us tend to think that scheduling things takes away the, the real meaningfulness of it. Right? I know there's some of you in here like this. When I was in high school, I remember when I was starting to become a faith and I found a church uh, that asked me to write out my prayer before I prayed it. I said, whatever. I'm writing out no stinking prayer. I've got a relationship with God. Writing out a prayer, that's formal. That's taking all the relationship out of it. except I really like to write letters to girls and be real thoughtful about the words and talk to them outside of letters. Like, there could be a both and. There's a discipline here. Not out of a sense of, of religious pride or smug formalism, but like, I'm a, 
I'm a lazy person sometimes. I'm a forgetful person. I'm, I need to set a time. It doesn't show you're not important, God. It shows you're that important. And he perseveres. Daniel knows I can't live 30 days without this. See, this type of walk of God, when it comes to our, our personal prayer life, it's not, first of all, even about discipline. It's about dependence. As he had previously done, Daniel had to get up and go to work every day in a world that was calling him to compromise his faith. And he didn't have a church around him, friends around him. Nobody but God would have saw him compromise in his situations in the everyday stuff of life. But he had this practice, this purity again that wasn't just about refraining from idols, but was about reaching out to God. And so in verses 11 through 13, obviously their plan's going to work. He's busted, he's prosecuted, he's condemned to the lion's den. And then in verses 14 through 19, we see this strange sort of thing, but is encouraging in one side and discouraging on the other, that Darius or Darius, however you prefer to pronounce it, the king is really sad that Daniel's going to be eaten by lions because he's his best guy. Again, that, that's the kind of people we want to be in the world, right? Like, man... I don't agree with everything that they believe, and some of it I think is just downright maybe backwards. But my kingdom will be worse with him not in it. And beyond a Sunday gathering. But on the other hand, it shows that this dude's just trying to protect himself. If you know anything about these kings, although he's trapped under this law, it says he spends all day trying to find a way around it. Is at the end of the day, he's, he's protecting his own powerful position. I mean, he could have said, Daniel's innocent. I'm not going to let this happen. But he doesn't. But Daniel's life of living before God prepared him to die for God. Some of us have heard these stories of World War II, and I had to, to look up this one to see if it was true, and supposedly it is, but who knows, is that... Uh, on the Russian front of the war, the Russians had, for some reason, a very accomplished opera singer with them. And at night, in the midst of the battle, he would perform. But once he started singing, everything would stop on both sides. So what I said is, again, I've heard they would stop for tea, you know, in Britain. Like, hey, stop killing each other. We're going to have tea. Well, here they stopped, and they listened to this opera singer. Everything would die down on the battlefield. But the second it was clear that he was finished singing, they'd just start fighting again. And it said this went on for days at least, and one night the Russians were startled and they heard something being thrown into their trenches, and they dove away thinking it was a grenade, but they found out it was a harmonica wrapped up. Germans have snuck, had snuck up and thrown this harmonica in there so that the opera singer could have musical accompaniment. Now, this, this is crazy, but the, the battle stoppings need enough, but... but the Germans giving a gift is really hard to comprehend. And the reason I connect that here in my own mind is no matter what was going on in the intensity of that battle and that war, there was this little thing that gave them this opportunity to be human again. And the inhumanity of everything that was going on around them 
they created this rhythm to remind them that they were more than just machines. Do you know that that singing wasn't learned in the battle? I thought about that opera singer, probably all the singing lessons he had. I imagined his mom or dad probably having to force him to do it. I imagined all the boring, trying to regulate his voice to hold a note without going flat or sharp. And he never knew how that would be used. None of us in here know what's coming in our lives. We're in a war now, but there are particular battles that are coming. Jesus has promised us that. But he wants to teach us to sing now. Like when Paul and Silas were thrown into the prison in the book of Acts. For their faith in Jesus as as the Son of God alone. Ruler and King of the world over all empires. And it says they sat in that cell and they sang. And it's because they had cultivated a life that was a song. If we want to pray when it all hits the fan, then we need to pray. Not just in the bad times, but in the good times. So are you forming habits to hold you? What are your places that you could be called at? Practicing the presence of God. What's your posture? Do you kneel? Do you sit? Maybe you drive. What's your pattern? I want to challenge you to move beyond uh, the legalist police mentality. And set some specific goals in your life. Maybe it's three times a day. Maybe you say, I'm going to do like Daniel. I mean, they've came up with some crazy Daniel diet books, right? So we can do Daniel praying three times a day, book out in March. Just kidding. But really, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer at breakfast. I'm going to pray against particular sins and sufferings in my life at lunch, or, and I'm going to pray Psalm 23 before I go to bed. I'm going to pray through the Psalms. In the history of the church, many have did five Psalms a day, which through the whole month, you'd pray through the whole book of Psalms. And by praying, sometimes we need to realize you, just, you read the Psalms to God. It's words written from God for your heart. But we need these predictable patterns in our lives. Which leads us to the, to the last point here. And these always have to be fast. But we're called not to live a life full of God beyond buildings and the belongings of the world. And, and beyond the big times or the hard times. But we're called to live a life full of God beyond our own faith. And, and I don't want you to misunderstand me in that. Not that our faith is not important. But if we have a faith in God that centers around our own faith instead of his faithfulness, then we will all probably fall. We see at the end of this chapter in verses 19 through 23 that there are two groups of people, really one person representing a larger group in Daniel and another group of people, and both have faith. 
But the object of their faith makes all the difference in the outcome of their faith. Daniel is delivered from the lion's den. He has to go through a long night in a dark place. But we hear God sends his angel. Likely here the angel of the Lord that represents his very person and presence in personal form in the, the real world to shut the mouths of the lions. And it says why he's did this, and it speaks of this blamelessness. But before we think that blamelessness means perfection, we see in the text here that blamelessness is not connected to the fact that Daniel never had a sinful thought or did a sinful deed, but he was a man who continually trusted in God. Why was he delivered? Verse 23 says, because he trusted in his God. And then in Daniel verse 6 verse 24 we have this horrible image of Darius here doing what we see these these kings doing overacting in horrible form and throwing all their family in the lion's den and we notice unlike Daniel whose God protected him in the night their bodies it seems may not even hit the floor and our chapter ends with this climactic praise from the lips of this pagan king of the sovereignty supremacy of the kingdom of God Daniel's routine witness ended in this empire's recognized worship his mundane trust in God's sovereignty led to this magnifying declaration of God's supremacy. For many of us, we may think the small things don't matter. But it's really the small things in our life that matter more sometimes than the big things. One writer, I can't remember who it was, said a quote that some days haunts me. How you spend your life is how you, sp how you spend your days is how you spend your life. How you spend your days is how you spend your life. God, I believe, wants us to hear that because if we spend our days centered around practicing His presence in both scheduled and spontaneous living, then we will not find our lives wasted. But even when the worst comes against us, we will find ourselves held up because our faith was not in ourselves. Our faith was not in false gods. Our faith was not even in our own faith. Our faith was in His power to deliver us. And how do we know that this faith will get us? Well, we, we know it not because we're, we're just all in here a bunch of great Daniels. No, I, oftentimes when my life gets hard, I want to give up. I want to entertain a fantasy of, a, of another way of being. So oftentimes my faith would not be very prosecutable in my house and in my place of work, but it may be like you could actually prosecute the opposite. I think we could prove he was not a believer. And sometimes, even when I do believe that I live in faithfulness, it seems as if the lines do bite. And for many, they do. And so Daniel, as in all the Bible, is pointing us to a, a greater representative of God's people. 
to a greater example of deliverance of God that we see in Jesus. This is just so amazing. As Jesus enters our world as the incarnated Son of God, do we, we better not forget before he did anything in terms of any type of public ministry, he lived 30 years. In relative obscurity. And that was not unimportant. No, he was showing us that real, regular life matters. And he came to live that regular, real life as our representative. He worked hard. He had good character. He went to the temple and worshipped. And he offered his everyday life up to God as an example that no one could find anything to hold against him when he did go public. Except for the fact that he claimed to be the Son of God. He was manipulated by the powers that be, religiously, politically. And he had this Roman governor named Pilate who said, I know he's innocent. But hey, what can you do? It's the law of the land. And so Jesus is thrown into the den. In that den, he faces an enemy that takes his life. But just as the oppressors of Daniel did not realize that God was doing something far greater in that deliverance from the den, so we need to be remembered, be reminded that as Jesus goes into the den of the, the, the wicked and evil condemnation of Rome, and the corrupted leadership of Israel, that God was bringing victory for us all. He was showing us that there is victory that brings us forgiveness for our sins when we look more like Rome and the corrupted religious leaders of the day as he dies in our place, bearing the just judgment that we deserve, but also as he rises from the grave, showing that he truly is greater than Caesar, showing that he truly is greater than Satan, Showing that death, hell, and the grave cannot hold him. But that God is the God who shuts the mouths of our enemies. But the only way we will be able to go and live our lives in light of that victory we have is if we cultivate this practice of the presence of God like Daniel did. That every day we pray looking to a greater temple. Looking to Jesus looking to the one who is our final sacrifice. Not looking to any physical place in this world, but looking to the person who is God. Who tells us who we are when we don't belong in the world. Who tells us that nobody can take that away from us. No government out there, no person in here. But challenging us to cultivate the kind of faith that can stand if everything else falls around us. To have a faith that is not just living to refrain from idols, but a life that is full of God. Even when life doesn't happen as we expect. Father, we thank you that you give us this good news. And we pray now, God, that you would help us to look to Jesus. We pray as we come to the table around the bread and the cup that you would remind us that Jesus alone is our hope. That you would remind us that until Jesus is enough, nothing, 
or no one else will be. But to give us great joy in being reminded that he is enough. And we thank you for this in his name. Amen.